What is good, everyone, and welcome to a very, very special week here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are going through each division and doing the ultimate division crossover Monday through Friday, going from first place to fourth place, and then a special uh, Valentine's Day episode showing a little bit of love uh, as well at the end of the week. Uh, today, I am your host, Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints, but I am joined by my three colleagues or three of our colleagues uh, over in the NFC South, some experts for other teams uh, within the division. Well, some of you guys know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, the host of Locked on Falcons. Some of you guys don't know me, so I'm looking forward to talking with all of you guys today. Hey guys, Bill Rossetti here of Locked On Panthers and Panthers Wires. Uh, some of you, again, some of you Saints fans might know me from some of the Saints crossovers, but yeah, definitely excited to jump on here with you guys. Really excited to have you guys. We once had David Harrison of Locked On Bucks as well, but when it became his turn to introduce himself, <laughs> he just dipped. He just left. It said that he's coming back though, so eventually he'll pop back in here. But yeah, I'm very we, glad. We promise at some point, David, <laughs> David will be here. He's he's actually third in line. I kind of uh, think, think of it as his draft pick, and so I just kind of jumped, jumped the <laughs> you line. You did a there. really good job. You just like jumped right in, David. Man, hey, how's it going? Hey, what's going on? I don't I don't know what just happened. Everything just kind of crashed on me, but uh, yeah, so. Are we still doing no. intros, or did we move oh, yeah. on to like who's winning the Super Bowl next year? No, I'm I'm literally still recording. <laughs> oh, awesome! Um, that's great. So, can, so I'm I'm, I'm David go. Harrison. I'm I'm one of the hosts from the Locked On Bucks podcast. Uh, writer over BucksNation.com. You can find me on Twitter at dh82 underscore bucks. I'm not sure if anybody else said anything more than that in their intros, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, you all, you're going to have to listen to find out. You're going to have to listen to find out. <laughs> there you go. That's what you get. <laughs> no, man. Uh, thanks, everybody, so much for taking the time to do this. This is very, very exciting. This is something unlike we've ever done uh, at the Lockdown Podcast Network before, to where we have this happening across every single division in the NFL. And it's the first time, uh, at least since I've been hosting Lockdown Saints, that we've had all four uh, teams in the NFC South represented. Of course, we're without the incredible James Yarko, who is also uh, the co-host over at Locked on Bucks. He does a fantastic job along with David covering uh, a, a very young and exciting team over there. And this is a very, very exciting division, I think, this year because the pattern has continued at this point. And the Saints are where we're going to start off with all of this, being the NFC South champion for the third year in a row in 2019, but still ending on Again, for the third year in a row, a very disappointing foot with an early uh, playoff exit, which is always just not great. Um, and so we've seen this now essentially on the, I don't want to say on the final snap for all three, because really the big storyline from last year's playoff exit came, you know, before overtime and with the no call and things like that. But uh, this is just another one of those big disappointing playoff exits for the Saints. Now, the big question is, can they do something that's never happened in the NFC South before and win the division for the fourth year in a row? So we're going to talk a little bit about the 2019 season as a review for the Saints. We'll get a little feedback from uh, Aaron, Bill, and David as well, just uh, in terms of how they feel about the Saints and how their teams match up this year. And then we'll jump into the future, uh, into 2020, and talk about the biggest storyline for the Saints as well as everything that you need to know heading into that next season. So to start off with a little bit of a recap in New Orleans, I mean, you heard me talk 
about how it all ended in a disappointing disappointing playoff loss, but it also started not in a disappointing place, but pretty weird. I mean, they opened up, they finally won the very first game of their season for the first time in something like five years, which was something that we all kind of went, please, please, please let that happen. But then in the second week, uh, Aaron, um, Aaron Rodgers, geez, um, Drew Brees ends up going down with a UCL injury for five games. And he ends up missing five games in which time the Saints go five and zero under Teddy Bridgewater. So that opened up a lot of questions for the Saints in terms of, hey, you know, at the beginning of the season, they made Teddy Bridgewater the highest paid backup. And all of a sudden it became clear as to why. So the Saints go five and zero without Drew Brees. Drew Brees comes back against the Cardinals, absolutely lays the Cardinals out and then plays pretty well with the exception of a, uh, a bye week loss uh, that Aaron might be familiar with. Uh, that we'll probably talk about here in a little bit where the Saints got absolutely embarrassed at home by the Falcons 26 to nine. Then they went on to continue to win uh, the rest of their games throughout the season with the exception of uh, the big shootout. And in my opinion, the best game of the season uh, when the Saints hosted the San Francisco 49ers scored 46 points on offense, but that was only just enough to allow it to be close because the defense gave up 48. Uh, and so the Saints took a loss there. Then they fight their way in. They became the first team in the NFL to clinch a playoff spot, fight their way through, uh, despite some injuries on the offensive line, as well as some skill positions as well. Alvin Kamara just didn't look like himself throughout the 2019 season, but finally started to turn it on in the last two weeks uh, of the regular season, not scoring a touchdown since the third week of the season until it was week 16. Uh, and so that was a wild thing to watch. And, you know, Latavius Murray came in, had a couple of good games, but the Saints really didn't rely on their run game very much. Instead, they relied on their passing game, and pretty much that entire passing game went through this year's Offensive Player of the Year, thanks to the NFL Honor and AP Award that he received the night before the Super Bowl. Michael Thomas, who caught 149 catches, uh, an NFL record by six, beating Marvin Harrison's 143 from years ago for 1,725 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, Jared Cook was a great addition for the Saints as well in the passing game, but still a pretty what felt like a very one-dimensional team uh, throughout the season, and some points that came back to bite them. They get into the playoffs, they find their way through, they end up being a 13-3 and team going into a wild card game, and they lose uh, to the Minnesota Vikings, the dreaded, dreaded Minnesota Vikings for many Saints fans, on a last-second touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph in the back of the end zone in overtime. And thus, the Saints season ends, and now all of the question marks linger about can they repeat the NFC South Championship next year in 2020. And I'm sure each one of these guys would be more than happy to tell us why that's absolutely not uh, going to happen. Aaron, second place Falcons, why don't you talk to us a little bit about why it is or what it is that the Falcons bring to the table next season that should allow them to compete with the Saints in 2020? Well, Ross, I, I don't know the answer to that question. But, yeah, I know. It's uh, very early, right? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I've obviously, as you mentioned, I happen to be the host of the one podcast of the team that actually beat the Saints in the division this year. So I feel like I have a little bit more insight into the Saints, or at least how to beat the Saints. But I, I think the Saints season was an interesting one, because we've seen sort of these last couple of years where they've been sort of contending for a Super Bowl and they keep kind of disappointing and it seems like there's diminishing returns and so you wonder if there's going to be continued diminishing returns which is going to allow any one of the teams within the division to sort of jump up and, and sort of snatch uh, that division crown um, if it's going to be the Falcons they're going to re rely heavily on their defense and that was one of the big reasons why they were able to beat the Saints coming off of that bye week where their pass rush really got after Drew Brees uh, that's been a new 
situation for the Falcons because they've always been more of this offensive-driven team, and they're hoping that in addition to their defense making strides this year, um, that their offense will sort of bounce back and, and look better and get sort of a year-two bump. They've got it under uh, Kyle Shanahan when he was here. They got it under Steve Sarkeesian. Maybe they'll get under Dirk Cutter. I'm sure David had thoughts on that as well. But uh, we'll just sort of see if any one of these teams can close the gap. I think the Falcons, just because they beat the Saints last year, may have a better chance than some of the other teams. But I'm sure these other guys have uh, additional thoughts on that. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think that the Falcons do at at this moment have the best matchup. Before we move on to uh, to David and uh, the Bucks' perspective, can you tell us really quickly what was it that you mentioned the pass rush? But uh, oh, who's the guy that they moved over to secondary coach? Is it Raheem Morris that they moved over to secondary coach? And what what were the adjustments that the secondary made uh, that were so effective against the Saints in that that Week Ten win? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, so really the, I don't know if their secondary was really the difference because as you said, Michael Thomas is sort of their uh, main guy and he kind of ran roughshod over them in that game. So they didn't really stop Michael Thomas in that game. They didn't really do the things that you would normally think that you would need to do in order to slow down that Saints passing attack. So mm-hmm. I really do think it was mostly their pass rush that was able to compensate for the fact that their secondary was continuing to struggle. Uh, in that one game, uh, they did a little bit better job against Thomas in, in the follow-up, but then the pass rush wasn't quite there. So, you know, they got a bump from Morris, and, you know, he's been spent the bulk of his career, as David can attest to, coaching on the defensive side of the ball. So I think one of the things that they did get better out of their secondary play in the second half of the season when he was coaching on the defensive side of the ball after spending three years on the offensive side of the ball coaching wide receivers was I think guys' technique got a little bit better. So uh, maybe that's something that can carry over uh, into 2020 as well. Love it. David, what you got on the Bucks for this year of matching up with the Saints? Well, I mean, I think up front, you know, when, when you look at the New Orleans Saints, obviously you think offense, you think Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Kamara, all those guys. And while the Saints, I think, had a better defense this year, at least at times, than maybe most people realize, um, you know, it's, it's not known as a defensive team. So as long as the Buccaneers' young defensive group can come back, Coach Arians has already talked about the Buccaneers want to keep that defense as much intact as they can coming into 2020. But, you know, there's some big questions. Shaquille Barrett, obviously, is one uh, that's got to be answered. JPP is, is a question mark. And Dom Kinsu is a question mark. We've still got some questions in the backfield. Uh, the defensive backfield there with safeties like Justin Evans, who haven't been able to play in quite a long time, and they haven't quite figured out who their free safety really is right now. And then Jordan Whitehead, the strong safety, had a pretty strong season, relatively speaking, but he did finish the season injured. Uh, I don't think it's anything that's really going to carry over to 2020, but you never like to see a guy leave the field and then never come back. That always kind of makes you nervous entering the next training camp. And for for the Buccaneers to beat the Saints or to compete with the Saints for the division title or any of these other teams, really, I think, you know, the answer is obvious. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised about it. you got to get the offense figured out. And not from a production standpoint so far or or, uh, by any means because – the Buccaneers offense, once again, one of the one of the most electric in the NFL, one of the most high scoring, you know, has has some of the most or the biggest yards and and, uh, you know, obviously a 5000 yard passer in James Winston. But those turnovers and a lot of the penalties, obviously, too, uh, the Buccaneers were one of the highest teams in, in penalties this year. Those are the things that have got to get figured out. And when you bring in a coach like Bruce Arians and offense coordinator like Byron Leftwich, those are kind of some of the things you expect to get ironed out before the defense so much uh, gets ironed out, because if you think about it. The, the Buccaneers secondary, really, if you if you go back to 2018, is a completely different group of guys than what you had in 2019. So the fact that they were able to come on as strong 
as they did towards the end of the season there is just really a testament to the to the coaching job that Todd Bowles does and hopefully the rest of the NFL ignores that moving forward so that he doesn't get a head coaching job in in 2021 but I think the nucleus to be able to compete with a team like the New Orleans Saints in that defense is there as long as they can keep it intact and build off of what they were able to do in 2019. Now the question is, can the Buccaneers put an offense together that one can can credit, can balance really well with the defense, and two, can not put their defense in 7, 10, 14-point holes to begin the games? Uh, I think those are kind of the biggest factors for, for the Buccaneers competing, not just in the division, honestly, but in the entire uh, football league, in the entire NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. I mean, I think that uh, the Bucs are one of the more exciting young teams in the NFL, but now they've got some competition for that title in terms of exciting young teams, thanks to the Carolina Panthers who are going through a lot of changes this offseason. Bill, what can you tell us about the Panthers heading up into 2020 matching up, uh, at least with New Orleans, but also amongst the NFC South? Yeah, I mean, when, when it comes to, to matching up with the Saints, really, it's night and day I, I, there's a huge gap i think between the panthers and the saints and that's really because the panthers are one of those teams that have a ton of question marks you know we, we just talked about the bucks having a lot of questions the panthers i think even more so and similar to the bucks their number one question is who's the starting quarterback going to be because everything right now is circling around cam newton how's the foot injury uh is, is he going to come back for next season you know are, are the panthers going to draft a quarterback because of course they have a brand new head coach they're the only team in this division that will have a new head coach and that's matt rule and matt rule got all the control when it comes to the coaching staff. You know, he brought in uh, his uh, his defensive coordinator from Baylor, Phil Snow. He was able to get Joe Brady. I think uh, some of you guys might know who Joe Brady is. I think he quarter he helped coach some quarterback named Joe Burrow. Is that his name? I've, I've not heard either of those names. <laughs> he, he's an up and comer. <laughs> He's a rising quarterback. I think I think you guys, uh, you listeners out there, might want to check him out. Um, Joe Brady comes in, you have a brand new coaching staff. This to me, I, I think it's looking like a, a, quite the rebuild process in Carolina, whether or not Cam Newton is back uh, in, in 2020. And either way, I think even if he is back in 2020, you have to think that this is probably going to be his final year. If 19 wasn't, 20 probably will be Cam Newton's final year. Um, but, you know, you still obviously have the other offensive pieces in place. You have Christian McCaffrey, who is also in the running for Offensive Player of the Year. You have DJ Moore. You have uh, Curtis Samuel, who hopefully will finally break out now that Joe Brady is at the is, is that offensive coordinator. Uh, but you get rid of Greg Olson. They have a ton of free agents that they have to deal with. You, know, you have a couple in the secondary. You've got... Uh, James Bradbury and Ross Cockrell are both free agents at cornerback. Trey Boston is a free agent at safety. Uh, Vernon Butler, uh, Gerald McCoy are both free agents. Dontari Poe has a player option for 2020 that I think is going to get declined. So you're basically almost hitting the reset button, especially on defense, because you've got a lot of players that you have to replace on, on this Panthers team. So when it comes to competing with the Saints, Right now, there is no comparison. I, I don't see any way right now that this Panthers team matches up with the Saints. I, I think it's just too much of a gap. I mean, 
you can make a good case right now that uh, that this is the worst team in the division, and there's a good chance that they are going to finish last place in the division again. Like honestly, I don't expect too much out of them this year, but I think 21 is when that rebuild is really going to start to come to fruition, and I think that's when this team is going to start becoming a contender again. But for 2020. I think they're going to be looking way up at uh, at the Saints in this division, and re and really the other teams too. I think the Falcons are uh, are a much better team right now, and the Buccaneers. So, like I said, I think there's a good chance that this is going to be another last place finish for for this Panthers team, for this young Panthers team. I always like a good happy note to end on. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that, I mean, I think that, look, the Saints right now are in position uh, in, in a lot of people's minds to win the NFC South for the, this would be the first time that it ever happened, uh, for the fourth year in a row. But there's but there's good reason for Saints fans to pump the brakes. We'll talk about why that hesitation is there coming up next here on this Locked On Podcast Network Ultimate Divisional Crossover. All right, y'all, still rocking with the ultimate divisional crossover here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are tuned in and locked in for the NFC South episode here. Myself, Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons, Bill Rossetti of Locked On Panthers, and David Harrison of Locked On Bucks. Uh, we just talked a little bit about the overview of the 2019 season and looking ahead to 2020, but the next thing we want to talk about is one of the biggest storylines for the Saints here in 2020. And that's a pretty simple one, and you all know where this is going as the Falcons seem to be the only team in the NFC South with an actual steady quarterback situation. The Saints are walking into 2020 with a whopping zero quarterbacks on contract going into this next year. And of course, the big question is, will Drew Brees return? Will he retire? And those are the two options, it seems. And it seems at this point that we should know something within the next, I'll say, three weeks or so he said at the pro bowl that it would be within a month or that he was going to give himself a month so we're a little bit removed from that date now but uh, when it comes to the biggest question for the saints it's what's going to happen at that quarterback position and it's not just will Drew Brees return will he retire it's also who steps in and becomes the next quarterback in New Orleans? Is it Teddy Bridgewater that they re-sign and keep? Is it Taysom Hill that they end up giving an opportunity, who, according to Jay Glazer, Sean Payton believes is the franchise quarterback and the heir apparent to Drew Brees? So do they immediately go to Taysom Hill? Do they bridge a little bit with Teddy Bridgewater, no pun intended? Or do they draft a quarterback, and then it's some combination of utilizing that younger quarterback or having him sit for a year and learn behind somebody like Teddy Bridgewater. So lots of questions to be answered for the Saints going into this one. But for the most part, on my end, uh, I think that the Saints have the best opportunity to win again in 2020 in terms of the NFC South with Drew Brees under quarterback. And if not Drew Brees, my vote goes to Teddy Bridgewater. I like how exciting Taysom Hill is uh, in terms of being an offensive weapon, but haven't seen enough of him yet to say, here you go, buddy. Here's the franchise. The quarterback position is all yours. So let's open this one up to the floor for the rest of my NFC South colleagues here. Uh, how do you feel, you know, if you were looking at this from your team's perspective, uh, do you want to see Drew Brees back? Is his diminished arm, which is something that we have seen over the last couple of seasons, uh, more of a favorable matchup than a younger guy like Teddy Bridgewater or a shockingly older guy than Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill, and his sort of explosiveness and versatility? So which quarterback would you most like to see? for the saints and which quarterback would you least like to see for the saints? Well, I think the easy answer is I would least like to see Drew Brees because he's the best one uh, mm -hmm. from the Falcons perspective. 
obviously you're getting kind of diminishing returns with Drew Brees, but I think with a healthy Drew Brees, that's a Saints team that, we, as we've seen over the last three years, that can compete at the or potentially compete at the highest levels. Um, you know, with Taysom Hill, it's 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 fascinating. I think he's a valuable asset for that Saints offense, but I think it's definitely more than fair to question whether or not he's ready for a more significant role. He's thrown, what, like 13 passes in his NFL career. He's about as equipped of being a quote-unquote franchise quarterback as former Falcon wide receiver Muhammad Sanu is. And in fact, Muhammad Sanu is much more productive as a passer than Taysom Hill has been. So the Saints should be just as inclined to sign Muhammad Sanu if and when he's cut by the Patriots this offseason and make him the franchise quarterback as they are in terms of making Taysom Hill. So I think Bridgewater is going to be interesting because he should be able to get offers from other teams to be a starter elsewhere um, because of how well he played during what that five game run where Breeze was out. Um, so I think if, you know, you're going from order of who I would least like to see uh, playing for the Saints this year, obviously Breeze would be one then Bridgewater, but yeah, I would love to see the Saints turn the keys over to Taysom Hill, uh, <laughs> believing that, you know, he's the guy that's going to guide them, uh, you know, beyond just basically pulling a Tim Tebow and running the ball every single snap and throwing like 10 passes a game. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, from from a wanting to see the Buccaneers win standpoint, Taysom Hill is the obvious choice for New Orleans to to roll forward with. Forget Drew, let him ride off into the sunset with his squad of children and do the broadcast thing. Forget Teddy Bridgewater, let him go somewhere else, maybe back to Minnesota to replace Kirk Cousins. I don't know. But Taysom Hill would be the, the best option for the rest of the NFC South to see on the field. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to Taysom Hill. I know it sounds a little disrespectful, but he's just he he's not you know the the total quarterback he's he's a very electric player he fits really well into the role that Sean Payton and that offense have carved out for him and he does well in the moments that he gets called upon to to do things for them so don't get me wrong he's a very effective player but i don't i don't believe you know and, and far be it for me to say that i know more than Jay Glazer will ever know about any football team in in, in the sport but i i find it really hard to believe Ross that 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 Sean Payton really would believe that Taysom Hill is the heir apparent to Drew Brees. Because if, if Taysom Hill was the heir apparent, then I think he would be, he would have been starting instead of Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I think Teddy Bridgewater is the heir apparent or it's a draft pick, but I don't think the Saints really have the capital to move up enough to take one of those top tier uh, quarterbacks. So I think you're either looking at Drew Brees, or you're looking at Teddy Bridgewater. And from a personal standpoint, just from a football purist and every Bucks fan is going to hate that I say this. I want to see Drew Brees one more time. I mean, Drew Brees is, is the kind of quarterback that makes this game fun to watch. He's the kind of quarterback that you want leading your team, leading your brand, no matter what team you're a fan of. And to get the opportunity to see Drew Brees lace him up one more time, go out there and fling the ball around the field one more time, you can't, you know, if, if that option presents itself, you can't honestly, as a football, as just a general football fan, say that you don't want to see that happen again. What you don't want to see is, Drew Brees, you know, limp off the field at the end of a season with a noodle for an arm, you know, not so much disgrace, but kind of, you know, going out with the curtains falling on him versus closing behind him. So you don't want to see that happen. But if there's an opportunity to see Drew Brees play again, I'm all for it, whether it's in the Saints uniform or another uniform, but I can't see him playing for anybody else other than Sean Payton and the Saints. Uh, but I think at the end of at the end of all this, Sean, or uh, Ross, Sean, if I have to make a prediction, I think, honestly, I think Drew is on his way out, and I think that Teddy Bridgewater gets re-signed by the Saints and that he's your starting quarterback moving forward, which 
as much of a legacy drop off that is, I don't think it's really that much of an operational drop off because like you already referenced earlier in the show, Teddy did a pretty good job running this offense. Maybe it's not the same offense, but Sean, his, his coaches and Teddy have shown that they have the ability to take the weapons that are currently on the team and make things work scheme to their strengths and make it work against opponents. So if they use this draft free agent period, uh, some of the cap space they'll save by not having to pay Drew um, to, to add more weapons, to add more things to this team, I think that the Saints can be perfectly fine. Yeah, and I, I feel like I'm just going to be uh, just adding on to the train here. And then, again, I don't, I don't mean to knock on Taysom Hill, but I, th- I think David brought it up pretty well there. I mean, Taysom Hill is good at – what he does. And what I mean, what I mean by that is the Saints did a fantastic job of utilizing Hill in so many different ways. You know, throwing a couple passes and you know putting him out at receiver, letting him catch some passes. He's just that do-it-all versatile player. But the bottom line is the guy has thrown 15 career passes in the NFL and he's already going to be about 30 years old, which when I first heard that age, because there's a time I didn't realize he was going to be about 30 years old. And I was kind of shocked when I heard that, but he's like 30 years old and he's only thrown 15 career passes. And you're going to say that. And again, we, like David said, we're not going to knock Jake laser, but um, you know, and there's a certain other that we're not going to mention that's talking about Taysom Hill, but <laughs> I can't sit here and say, <laughs> yeah, I can't sit here and say that uh, a 30 year old quarterback that's thrown 15 career passes is all of a sudden going to be the franchise face. You know, that reminds me of when the Browns drafted 28 year old Brandon Whedon in the first round, how many years ago and look how great that worked out for them. It's like, this is why you don't draft a 28 year old quarterback in the first round. So if we're talking about a quarterback that we would want to see to help our teams win. Yeah. Taysom Hill's the guy because of all the inexperience of all the things you can throw at him on defense to really kind of knock him around a bit. I do want to see Drew Brees. I I think I'm in agreement. I think we're all in agreement here. We want to see Drew Brees one more time. Yes. You know, the arm is obviously going down, but he still has the talent even at 40 years old. And it's tough to just, it's tough when we see legends like this walk away. We always want that one more year. You know, we we just want to grasp as long as we can. So if we can get one more year out of Drew Brees and kind of let him ride off into the sunset, I think that's what we're all here for. But I don't think the Saints can go wrong also with uh, with sticking with Teddy Bridgewater. We Like we talked about, he went 5-0 in the games he started. He really helped. Because, listen, when Breeze got hurt and, he, and we heard that he was going to miss about six weeks, we thought the Saints were in trouble. We had no idea what we were getting with Teddy Bridgewater, who you know has obviously dealt with a lot of animosity in his own right with his injuries and whatnot. So, and I'm one of Teddy Bridgewater's biggest fans because – it goes back to the day he was drafted when all the hype was, you know, he's going to go high and this, that, and the other thing. And then all of a sudden people start talking about his pro day and are starting to knock the guy. And I'm like, wait a minute, what does his pro day have to do with anything? Like this is what, even if it was a struggling day, is that all of a sudden going to erase all the film that he had way back when, and he ends up falling all the way to 32 before the Vikings traded up for him. 
So ever since then, I've been rooting hard for the guy. So I'm extremely happy that he went in and he won all these games and he just looked as great as he did. So I think David's right. If you're, if you're the saints, you at least have to consider the money that you're going to spend. You know, even if you are going to throw a bit, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're here, if, if we're going to give Teddy Bridgewater $25 million a year, but if we're talking in the area of like 15 to 20, then maybe that's something we can work on because, you know, Bridgewater still has some work to do, but um, at least that, money that you might be saving with drew Brees, you can definitely use and, and and get some weapons so the saints can't go wrong with with bringing back teddy bridgewater but yeah i, I would definitely love to see one more year of drew Brees, just as a fan of the game and just the the greatness that we've seen out of drew Brees and this saints offense see this is why the locked on podcast network nfc south group is just so dope because there's just mad respect across like the entire line here and i love it so much um let me let me uh, i'm gonna say a couple of little things uh bill you're absolutely right i mean having drew Brees back at david and aaron y'all mentioned this but having drew Brees back for one more year is what every football fan is going to want to see like just as a football purist fan is going to want to see that and i love the way that you mentioned it that no matter what you're always going to wish you had one more year drew Brees could play for another three fans would have wished for a fourth you know what i mean like that's always going to be the case but if drew Brees doesn't return next year even if he retires the saints will owe him 21 million dollars however the difference is that if drew Brees returns they owe him 21 million dollars that's already been paid out to him that's counting against the salary because of signing bonuses and the many, many uh, examples of Mickey Loomis and Kai Hartley kicking the can down the road. So no matter what, they owe $21 million against the cap next season. And then if Drew Brees returns, they'd have to pay him a new contract on top of that. So that salary hat, uh, hit ends up becoming something around 40 to $50 million, You know, depending on the kind of contract that they end up giving him. Whereas with uh, Teddy Bridgewater, if you end up being able to sign him for something around that 15 to 20 range, you end up saving somewhere around $10 million off of the top of what Drew Brees' new contract would be. So that would be a great move for New Orleans to help open up the salary a bit, give them an opportunity to add some weapons around Teddy Bridgewater that can maximize him in the offense. If Drew Brees comes back, maybe he takes a little bit of a team-friendly deal, although there's no reason for him to do so. He's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. There's no reason that he should have to take a pay cut. It would just be up to him about whether or not he would want to. And then it comes down to the draft about adding pieces and things like that. Um, David, you had mentioned the idea that uh, you know, without Drew Brees, uh, the Saints performed pretty well with Teddy Bridgewater. And I want to point out one thing that I think was awesome about when Teddy Bridgewater played over those five games, the style of the Saints offense was still very much, it still looked like itself. They still took some shots down the field when they got them. They still, you know, relied on the short, quick passes. Teddy Bridgewater has a tendency of holding the ball a little bit too long. So when there's design plays that end up forcing the ball out of his hand quickly, that ended up benefiting him. But one of the things that I loved is that you saw a 55 to 45 ish. I'm, I'm rounding up but split between run and pass with Teddy Bridgewater under center with Drew Brees under center. You saw a 70 to 30 split in favor of the pass. So I like the way that the offense diversified under Teddy Bridgewater and then essentially gave him some help. Those are the days where you saw Latavius Murray pop off, particularly in Chicago as well as in Jacksonville. And I loved seeing that. And then you also got to see Teddy Bridgewater air it out a few times in some of those games as well. 
Um, and then Aaron, I 100% agree with you as well. From any uh, NFC South standpoint or any opponent standpoint, the absolute uh, option for any opposing team against the Saints is for Taysom Hill, the unproven uh, you know, BYU guy who dealt with a ton of injuries in college joined the NFL late, as Bill mentioned, because he was out on a, a mission. He because you know he he was out being a missionary and then came back to school and then came to the NFL. And you know that that undrafted guy that has a few years behind him at this point in terms of his development, and at this point might be too late to really push him into that starting quarterback legacy idea or or, or rather uh, franchise guy idea. Uh, that is and should be the optimal choice for any opposing team uh, for the Saints. Any other uh, final words, or I don't want to say final words on Drew Brees, I'm not trying to close that curtain on him that quick, but any other uh, additional words uh, on the Drew Brees situation from you guys before we move on to our third segment? I'll just say I'll believe Drew Brees is going to retire when I see it. Uh, That dude's going to play forever. And, you know, so I'm expecting like another two or three years out of Drew Brees before he, he finally hangs it up. I think we're going to have to see significantly diminishing returns where every time the Saints play on primetime, all you see on Twitter is everybody saying, man, Drew Brees is washed before he decides to hang it up. So I just think his competitive fire is going to drive him. And particularly given how close the Saints have been the last couple of years, and I'm sure we might get into this later on today's episode, sort of what they need to potentially get over the hump. To, to try to, you know, get to back to a Super Bowl, I just think it's it's we're not going to see the end of Drew Brees. So we'll, we'll see. I know there's various reports out there that say that he's seriously contemplating it, but I, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. So, I mean, so in that vein, I mean, I you know, obviously I've already been on record saying I would love to see Drew come back. Ross, is there a world where Drew Brees comes back to New Orleans and Teddy Bridgewater stays? Because I know he's been very appreciative of what the Saints have given him as far as the second opportunity to play that backup role. And he, he, he's, he's a, he's, he's stated that he wants to stay in new Orleans, but you know, there's also the whole, he, he is a quarterback. He is a player. He wants to be on the field and kind of the whole strike while the iron is hot type of mentality. When you look at how many teams across the national football league this year really are rumored or, or expected to be looking for a quarterback. Is it possible that Teddy Bridgewater agrees to come back and still back up drew Brees for like Aaron said, two or three more years before getting back into a starting position? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to think of it in terms of two to three years, you know, three or four more years, things like that. But I mean, it's completely possible for this next year. The big thing is that most of the teams that absolutely need quarterbacks are already at the top of the draft. You look at the Chargers, you look at the Bengals, and then, of course, you look at the Dolphins. And so the guys that really need to go out there and draft quarterbacks are already in position to do so, or at least in striking position. Uh, to be able to do so within the top 10 of the draft. And then you have some of the other teams that, you know, could use another quarterback. You know, you look at Chicago, certainly Indianapolis, um, not to be, not to, I don't, I don't know what's going on in terms of the Jameis Winston situation, but Tampa Bay should be in that conversation as well, just in terms of teams that could potentially use another quarterback. So there's still going to be some options out there for Teddy Bridgewater to have a starting role, particularly Chicago or Indy. And I think that those offers it's a tough thing. Those offers in terms of money are going to be better than what the Saints can provide, especially if Drew Brees comes back for this season. So it depends on where Teddy Bridgewater decides to, you know, really plant a lot of fodder in terms of where he's going to make that type of a decision. Is it going to be about the money? Is it going to be about the opportunity? Or is it going to be about the team, the fit and the environment? If it's about the team, the fit and the environment, I think the Saints have a leg up there. But if it comes down to the money, the opportunity, 
if Drew Brees is coming back in 2020, then I think that Teddy Bridgewater wisely takes a contract elsewhere if they're going to pay him better and offer him a starting position. But if it comes down to, you know, the Saints in Miami, like it did last year, we already know that Teddy Bridgewater mentioned that he decided not to go to Miami, even though it's his hometown, because he wanted to make a decision with his head as opposed to his heart. The other thing about Miami is that, or any of those other three teams that I had mentioned in, you know, Cincinnati or, or, um, or, or the Chargers, the thing about those teams is that they're in position to draft a quarterback that could eventually take over. So do you wait a year to get a starting role for the foreseeable future, or do you take an immediate starting role only to be usurped after the first or second year that could happen in Indy too. If they were to, you know, get a guy like Jordan love, there's, you know, four quarterbacks up there that have the potential to be that sort of thorn in the side for a quarterback that's trying to reestablish a career somewhere. And so if those environments are the environments that, are the ones that are making offers to him. And if he senses that, then maybe that's the opportunity for the Saints to be able to maintain Drew Brees for another year, Teddy Bridgewater on another backup salary, probably another high, high backup salary, you know, highest paid in the league backup salary. And then uh, Taysom Hill, of course, is a restricted free agent. So even if he he wanted to go somewhere, he doesn't have a choice. Uh, Sean Payton's keeping him around. But uh, so, yeah, I think that there's the potential that it happens. I just don't know how likely it is until we know where the other interests lie. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. You're talking about going to another team who could potentially draft a quarterback that would eventually take over. Because, and that reminds me, it takes me back to the Chicago Bears signing Mike Glennon and was expected to give Mike Glennon an opportunity to become their starter and then had him at their draft party when they traded up to draft Mitch Trubisky, which I don't know how you do that to another human being. But uh, yeah. yeah, so I think, I think that's a good point. I don't know if teams would be willing to give it to him, but, um, you know, if, if it's like, hey, uh, if I sign with you, Miami, Indy, Tennessee, somebody, are you going to assure me that you're not going to spend a first-round draft pick on a quarterback and you're going to actually build a team that we can work together? I don't know if a team would be willing to do that, but yeah, that's that's a, that's a valid point, I think. All right, y'all, we're going to dive into our final segment here for the Locked On Podcast Network, ultimate divisional crossover here with the NFC South guys, you know, having a good time out here. Uh, so this is going to be all week long. We're talking Saints today, Falcons tomorrow, Bucks on Wednesday, Panthers on Thursday, and then we got a special and fun Friday episode coming up for you, too, for Valentine's Day. Uh, Aaron, just so that you know, um, your Falcons episode, it, it comes out on my birthday, so I expect you to be very kind uh, to me. I'll um, do my best. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, so we're going to close out the episode today, just taking a look at what some of the biggest team needs are for the Saints and then get some perspective around uh, from some of these guys within the NFC South as well. And I think that the the biggest and and sort of the, the biggest thing that the Saints need to do in order to stay on top and tell me if you guys disagree, but it's to draft a wide receiver that can get some production opposite Michael Thomas. I think there's also the interior defensive line conversation. There's also the linebacker position as a need as well. Uh, but when it comes to what the Saints sort of biggest glaring hole is in terms of what's missing in their game, it's it's Ted. Ginn, it's the presence of Ted Ginn Jr., oddly enough, that is, that seems to be uh, the biggest missing piece uh, for the Saints. And Bill, you might be able to shed some shed some light into that. He had a very successful 2017 season with the Saints and then kind of dropped off from there. But it seems to me that that wide receiver opposite Michael Thomas is the most uh, is the, sort of the biggest piece that the Saints should look to add this offseason. Yeah, because, I mean, there really wasn't much of uh much output opposite Michael Thomas. There's there's a reason why he caught almost 150 passes, you know, and kind of tracking how the Saints did on offense and, you know, doing some of my stuff for four for four on the Saints, you 
took notice that that second wide receiver position, whether it was Ted Ginn or whether it was uh, Traquan Smith, they were kind of just there in name only, weren't they? I mean, they they were on the field, and it got to the point where Tra- uh, Traquan Smith started getting more work than uh, than Ted Ginn. But other than catching like maybe two passes a game. There was nothing there. I mean, Michael Thomas caught all those passes because he was almost forced to have to catch all those passes because Drew Brees thought, well, Ted Ginn's not doing much. Traquan Smith's doing much. So I got to either force it to Michael Thomas or find Jared Cook. So I I agree. That's outside of what's going to happen with quarterback. They've got to try to find some some help from Michael Thomas. Not that Michael Thomas needs help, but I'm just saying it would – you know, because imagine a strong receiver opposite Michael Thomas, and imagine being able to get Michael Thomas even more open than he already is, because defenses can't solely focus on him. I mean, you you just get, and with how deep this wide receiver class is, you get somebody like that. You get somebody like, say, I don't know, I'll just throw out some names like a Van Jefferson or a, a Justin Jefferson or, or some of these uh, talented or big receivers. You get these guys out there, and all of a sudden, wow. Michael Thomas is just running free all over the field and who knows, maybe he catches 175 passes. Well, maybe not that high. That's a little unreal, unrealistic, but Hey, it's fun, fun to think about, but they, they absolutely need something opposite Michael Thomas. Cause Ted, Ted Ginn ain't getting it done. It, it I'll, I'll just say this though, quick too. Like it's still amazing to me that Ted Ginn has been able to last in the league this long, because I remember when he first came to the league, like his first year or two or so, there was a lot of concerns about him. And there was, there was a lot of people wondering what's his role going to be. You know, is he going to make it in this league? He was more of a burner and that was about it. But here he is. What? 12 years later now since he got drafted and he's still kicking around the league. So major props to Ted Ginn for carving out as long of a career as he has. Yeah, for real, for real. Especially when what the average, the average NFL career is what, three and a half years, four years. Like, you know, years just, yep. Yeah. Just, just long, you know, just short enough to not get lifelong health insurance, which is what you're entitled to after five. But you know, that's, I'm putting my personal, personal things aside. Um, guys, uh, David, Aaron, do y'all have anything that you want to contribute in terms of uh, Saints big needs? I mean, wide receiver seems pretty obvious to me, but I mean, pass rusher, linebacker, those are some other places where the Saints might look to benefit as well. For me, I, like I look at their cornerback situation, obviously you have Marshawn Lattimore. Um, but it feels like there's been a revolving door at that opposite spot, whether you had King Crawley or Eli Apple, they picked up Janoris Jenkins late in the season. And you've seen positive play from those guys at various points over the last couple of years. But I feel like in addition to, you know, getting that number two wide receiver that can sort of stabilize and give them another weapon opposite Michael Thomas, I think they kind of need to get another number two cornerback that can sort of stabilize that position where there isn't, that revolving door. And if they can fix that, then I think that's going to help their defense be a little bit more uh, consistent because you, I think you've seen some of the ups and downs, particularly in that secondary where there would be some games where they really struggle to stop teams. Um, and then there would be games where they're lights out. And I think that inconsistency has a lot to do with the fact that they just get this, you know, you know, this roller coaster at that, you know, number two cornerback spot. Yeah, I think that's a great point, particularly within this division. Uh, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, that's Saints, Falcons, Bucks. Uh, those are your three top 
receivers in the NFL. And honestly, DJ Moore was only 27 yards off of the number five spot. So had he played in the final game of the season, he probably would have been in there too. And of course, had Mike Evans not gotten injured, he missed three games and still ended up just barely 50 yards off of the mark for the number for a number five spot. So the NFC South really leading the NFL when it comes to uh, throwing the football. So having these really viable and very reliable cornerbacks uh, is a must within this division. Yeah, and Ross, I mean, I think you guys did a pretty good job of covering all the all the needs. Uh, that secondary is one that I was going to bring up as well. But I have, I have actually a specific player to ask you if you'd be interested in. So what if I were to tell you that there was a wide receiver that's probably going to be on the open market who for the last three starts of the 2019 NFL season caught over 300 yards or you know produced over 300 yards of offense in the passing game and scored four touchdowns in those final three games. He's six foot two and is known for his, known for his long speed and is probably going to be available, like unrestricted, you know, no, no trades, no nothing, just available for negotiation. Is that a guy that you think the Saints would be interested in? I would I would say sign me up, but I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little worried about who it might be. Uh, but no, I'd definitely say sign me up. It's Prashad Perryman. I was hoping that was the case. I, yeah, yeah man. I knew you were going to say that. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. David, I know exactly who you were talking about. Yeah. He seemed to get all those yards against one particular team. He did get a <laughs> lot of those yards against one particular team. He did. But, you know, I, I but I think that's that's kind of a, a thing that's kind of been uh, a little under-talked about. And, you know, obviously this isn't the Bucks episode. We'll probably get into more of that there. But uh, Perryman is a guy that I've gone on record on the Lots on Bucks podcast saying I don't think is coming back to Tampa, not because of a lack of appreciation or interest from the team or vice versa, but I think that Prashad is going to go out there looking for a number two job. He's a former first-round draft pick, you know, was expected to kind of come in and, and really kind of help save the Baltimore Ravens offense and turn them up a notch. Didn't work out, went to Cleveland, was expecting to have a chance at a number two job when they brought OBJ in, respectfully asked, hey, if I'm not a number two, let me go somewhere else and try to find a job. Ended up in Tampa where obviously he's going to play that, that third fiddle to Chris Godwin and uh, Mike Evans, but he made the best of it, especially with those injuries. And now I really feel like this is the time where Brashad Perryman is going to go out there looking for, you know, probably a two, three, even more year deal if he can get one, but probably more realistic is about two or three years uh, to try to get that chance to be a second wide receiver. And I mean, as much as, you know, any Bucks fan is going to hate seeing a Buccaneer go to New Orleans and potentially produce against their own secondary, uh, you, you can't deny that Brashad Perryman to New Orleans teaming up with Michael Thomas and Drew Brees or Teddy Bridgewater is an attractive is an attractive possibility. Yeah, it's it's actually one of the offseason ads that I like the most. Uh, I had meant I've mentioned it before on Twitter. I know a lot of people, a lot of Saints fans are a little hesitant about him simply because, you know, he's got a 52% catch rate and this season and people with Ted Ginn Jr. were going nuts over his 53.6% catch rate. But the 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 opposite side of that is the actual production, like actual production that comes yeah. from uh, Brashad Perryman is far and away beyond what Ted Ginn Jr. did over the last two seasons combined. And so I think that with that being the case, uh, I think Brashad Perryman would be a fantastic ad for the Saints. And he's a name that I'll definitely be watching uh, in the offseason. Thank you for bringing that to the listeners, man. I appreciate that. Of course. All right, y'all, that is going to do it for our first episode of the Ultimate Divisional Crossover here in the NFC South. Uh, any any final thoughts, guys? Anything you want to add before you wrap up and return with Aaron's episode on Tuesday and also my birthday uh, for the Locked On Falcons, or for the look at the Falcons? I mean, the Saints are always a fun team. I'll, I'll just throw that out. Um, like I said before, I hope Drew Brees comes back and i just want to mention quick i i can't believe 
we're talking about Brashad Perryman as a top free Asian receiver. Who would have thought that was a possibility? <laughs> <Right>? But here <laughs> we are. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, Ross, uh, I, I think a good coverage of the team. But um, now I've, I've actually never had the honor of, of being in the press box there at the Superdome. But I have good information that tells me that while the Saints might need to upgrade wide receiver, secondary linebacker, they need to upgrade that press box. So yeah. if you know anybody inside the organization that can make those wheels start turning, you know, maybe maybe that would get the Saints some friendlier opposing coverage uh, down, down the road. A hundred percent. I mean, they have huge renovations coming down to the Superdome uh, over these next three years, I believe, in terms of trying to get ready for the Super Bowl when they host in a few more years. And so uh, I think that the the press box needs, needs a little attention. And surprisingly, the menu at the press box needs a little bit of attention. You can imagine in New Orleans, it'd be fantastic. But it's like, you know, it's a selection of hot dogs for the most part. <laughs> No po boys, like you can't. Yeah, you, you gotta have. You gotta do better than that. Yeah, yeah it's kind of weird. Shame. It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, I was just in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago. Oh man, best city in the world, man. Best city in the it, world. It, it was fun. It was a lot of fun <laughs> before I went to the Senior Bowl. So shout out to New Orleans and their and their po boys and their beignets. Yeah, you gotta love them. Gotta love it, man. I have two it. boxes of beignet mix sitting in my house here. And I brought them back all the way to PA. So that doesn't tell you how how excited I was to enjoy them. I also, also it, shout out to uh, the airport security for uh, for checking those boxes. <laughs> they wanted to make sure. This he he don't he, he that ain't no beignet box. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my goodness. All right, y'all. Thank you very much, Aaron, Bill, David. Talk to you tomorrow. This will wrap up our first episode of the Ultimate Division Crossover. Thank you all very much for tuning in here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.